Welcome to Pondering AI, where we contemplate what is required to ensure artificial intelligence is deployed fairly, safely, and justly for all, now and in the future. I am your host, Kimberly Nebula, and today I'm so pleased to be joined by Temo Rus to explore the path to pervasive AI literacy. Temo is the lead instructor of the wildly popular Elements of AI online course and leads the AI education program at the Finnish Center for AI, all of which is in addition to being a professor of computer science at the University of Helsinki, where his research focuses on future applications of machine learning. Hyvä päivä, Teemo. Hyvä päivä, Kimberly. That's brilliant. With apologies for my poor Finnish pronunciation. So, Tell us how you came to study computer science and data science and artificial intelligence in particular. Okay, so how long do you have? Uh, it's it's a long story, uh, <laughs> of course, but maybe just the highlights. <laughs> right. So I was always really curious about computers. It, it wasn't really the gadgets. It was more like the the creativity that you can create these like imaginary worlds by programming and making things happen. It was kind of like magic as a kid to make something happen like that. And that was always the thing that drove me to learn more about it. And I went to the university to study computer science and I was on my path to becoming a, a programmer, a developer. And then during my studies, I took this like part-time job as a software developer. But that was a kind of a turning point when it turned out that the the kind of the routine work of a software developer can actually become pretty damn dull. <laughs> uh, at least I wasn't able to sort of, you know, create new things because it was always like specified to the point that, you know, it was a billing system for this large uh, teleoperator. So there was not much creativity, as you can imagine. Um, and I, I, I actually sort of noticed that I enjoyed my studies uh, and I was studying, you know, that we, we had some courses on AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning uh, that really caught my attention and I really sort of got taken away by that. Uh, and then I was thinking, okay, well, maybe this software developer work isn't the coolest thing or the funnest thing in the world, but this like, I could maybe sort of continue studying a bit longer. And then so I became a, uh, a PhD student just to, you know, enable myself to learn a bit more and so on. And, and that's basically what I'm still doing. I'm, I'm still learning more, you know, that's as a researcher, as a professor, it's kind of a dream job because I can always continue that like forever, always learning things that maybe somebody else hasn't learned before. So creating new knowledge and, you know, that's, that's the long and short of it. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got the best of both worlds. In fact, your actual job is to learn and, and to help the rest of us learn. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So you're doing some really exciting work in two very divergent, maybe not completely divergent areas, but in both applied machine learning research and what I'm going to broadly label public education. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us first about what are some of the projects on the research side that you're most excited about today? Well, okay, so today, like literally today, we <laughs> had this uh, brilliant meeting planning joint research with astrophysicists. And, uh, you know, it's quite exciting even to me, like, of course, uh, I'm, I'm sort of a layman in terms of physics or especially astrophysics. So all these kind of magneto hydrodynamics sort of yada yada things, <laughs> it's, it's sort of, that's kind of magic still to me. It's, it's less known magic than the you know, AI magic. 
and now sort of the opportunities to combine my machine learning research and applications that are quite exciting. Um, there's another project where we're looking into neuroscience, where uh, really small babies' brains development is being monitored by wow. like connectivity patterns that are analyzed with machine learning technologies. It's really the best part, in addition to being really fascinating in itself, but another best part in machine learning is that you can apply it in almost everything. I would almost say like actually everything. There's no field of research where you couldn't find something where you could help with machine learning. That is really inspiring. The potential, I think, for all of those things is so outstanding. And, and it struck me as you were talking about babies is that we're using machine learning to learn how we learn mm -hmm. to some extent. So that observation that machine learning and artificial intelligence can really be used and intersect with all aspects of life and, you know, all careers and all of these different paths. Is that what inspired you to bridge the gap between the work you're doing in the research lab and commercializing AI and more broad efforts for literacy and education? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's quite right. And there's, of course, a lot of work in applying machine learning in, let's say, physics or engineering. But I was always feeling that there is so much lost potential because the community is not quite as diverse as it could be. So there's really heavy focus and a lot of investment of effort into certain kinds of applications, like exactly those like gadgets. As I said, I'm, I'm not like so keen on the latest gadgets. There's other sort of things that appeal to me in computer science. And I've felt that it's kind of a little bit too homogeneous in terms of the interests of the people that are involved. And that's been something that I've been wondering about for a long time. How do we get more diverse people, more diverse community in in creating those ideas? Because it it's not as if I, as a you know machine learning person or a computer scientist, could come in a new problem domain, let's say, you know, medicine or design or whatever teaching. Um, and start sort of creating viable and useful ideas there. It, it always takes the person who is immersed in that topic and has been has been sort of facing the problems in that topic and in that domain for years and years to see what is missing. And that's why it's always collaboration. Like, as I said, you know, we were just chatting with astrophysicists and I couldn't dare pick a book on astrophysics, read that and pretend that I'd be able to come up with the, the best ideas. It's always the people that are thinking, you know, 24-7 or, you know, every any waking moment at least of that problem. And they come up with one part of the puzzle. And maybe I, as a computer scientist, then can bring the other part, uh, but it can't be done without them. And, you know, I think that like meeting of people, meeting of minds of different backgrounds is when the magic really happens. So when you were then thinking about putting together elements of AI, which is wildly popular. I, I believe that over 650,000 people have now taken yeah. that course. It was rated as, I think it was the most highly rated computer science course in terms of MOOCs, so massive open online courses by Class Central. What was your objective and who was the target audience for that course? That's a great question. Uh, the target audience, like very briefly, it is everyone who is not already interested in AI. So you would think that's a really weird way to 
define the target audience for like an AI course, like people who are not interested in you. you maybe think, okay, well, it should be the other way around. But we actually thought about it for a long time. When we were starting this collaboration with, uh, there's a company called Reactor, who is our partner in the Elements of AI project. And we were thinking together with them, who should we have as our target audience? And we interviewed a lot of people. We asked them why they're interested in AI, why they're not interested in AI, what aspects of AI they might be interested in. And through those discussions, we realized that there's a lot of people who don't kind of realize that AI is relevant to them. Uh, but once they realized that, they actually said, okay, well, I, I should actually probably learn a bit about it and form an informed opinion and, and do something about it, be more active about it. And we found that pattern over and over again that people didn't really realize. They didn't know what AI means, so they couldn't be interested in it. But then, you know, of course, everybody's interested in what happens to their data when they use social media or when they do a, a search on the internet, when they use various apps on their mobile phones. So people are actually interested in the topic itself, but they just couldn't kind of connect the dots, like AI having something to do with those things. And that's why uh, we pick that as the target audience, the people who don't maybe yet see the relevance of AI in their life, but who will be interested in it once they see the relevance. So how do you get people who might say, okay, this is the elements of AI, and maybe I don't even know what that really means, and I'm not sure it's relevant to me to click in? Well, that's the difficult bit. If we just let it like sit somewhere online, people will actually not find it. You know, That's the question, and that's the issue. Uh, and that's why we need to do so much more than create an online course and just have it sort of, you know, sitting there. We need to create this initiative. We need to sort of think in terms of the growth of the, the community, people, you know, word of mouth. How do we encourage people to do it together, maybe with their colleagues or their loved ones, their family, uh, encourage them to do that, um, encourage people to join you know, maybe uh, reading clubs or, or meetings. Um, how do we encourage different stakeholders to to organize meetings around it? So it's really so much more than an online course. It's an entire initiative that we were trying to orchestrate from the HQ in Helsinki with local partners in every country where we've launched it. And we've got amazing partners that generate those ideas. You know, let's here organize something in the local libraries. Let's here organize a hackathon. Let's organize something with the schools, include it maybe in some high school curricula or, or stuff like that. And it, it really, it's another sort of business to find the people that, uh, that might be interested in it. So the course is called Elements of AI. What are the essential elements or topics that you cover in the course? We kind of start with the observation that it's really hard to define AI in a crisp manner. So it's really hard to say that, well, on this side of the butter, this is AI, this isn't. So we're kind of rather linking it to some things that might be more familiar to people, like, you know, statistics or, you know, computer science or software in general, and say that it's kind of a subset of that. And we kind of characterize, well, it's the kind of software that uh, might be adaptive or might be able to complete some tasks autonomously rather than being, you know, explicitly programmed to do something. Um, and once we've sort of got on that a bit more clear, we start sort of pointing at uh, concrete examples, like, you know, as I mentioned, social media, of course, like different robotics applications, 
like we don't, for instance, start with the robotics because that would give you the impression that it's something really like far in the future, right. or maybe in like more like science fiction things. Uh, we sort of try to intentionally make it more, you know, I sometimes say make it more boring. So make AI more boring, <laughs> make AI boring again. That's that's the goal. Well, not gonna exactly, but still more commonplace, more like familiar. And then we go about uh, sort of sort of little bit peeking under the hood saying, okay, well, what might make it work for this particular application? And we give simple examples of the types of principles that are applied in building systems. And then finally, uh, we kind of, uh, you know, we circle back to the uh, social and societal implications. What does it mean now that these systems are developed and applied? Uh, what does it mean, let's say, for the working life? Is the job market going to be disrupted? What does it mean to our privacy? How could you protect your own privacy? And so it's kind of linking those to to bigger contexts uh, that people sort of also can relate to easier. Yeah. I'm always, I don't know if shocked is the word, but taken aback by how little even some of my family and friends are aware of how their information is used or even that these systems are in play today. And so as a very simple example, um, a, a dear cousin of mine probably just even a year or two ago, we were talking and she was really irate about the fact that she had decided to Google herself, which I thought was funny to start with because she's not usually online, and was really irate that all of the information on her family tree essentially was online. So she could Mm -hmm. see her siblings and who they were married to. And she was really appalled. And I don't know if I'm a good friend or a bad friend because I didn't want to break it to her that that was really just the tip of the iceberg. So (laughs) as you're going through this course, I imagine people are getting really excited about the potential. Do you also find that people are somewhat amazed or taken aback by the extent to which some of these systems are already in play and how their information is being used? Yeah, and I think that's a part of the plan to some extent. The kind of impact that we'd like to reach is not really on the axis of good or bad or or whether you like AI or whether you dislike AI. We, we don't want to sort of start saying that, okay, you should like AI. Or we don't like to say, of course, like you shouldn't like AI. But we like to tell people that they should be more active as opposed to being more passive in terms of forming an opinion, being vocal about it, talking about it to others. And also, of course, like at, at some point making decisions about using certain products or not using and eventually sort of through the democratic decision-making process sort of think about like, how do I how do I behave you know in voting or otherwise taking part in democratic decision-making how do we steer AI to a direction that we that we like but of course we leave it to people to judge themselves it's not as if we could tell them that this is you know these are the right values uh, and you should value this thing over that thing. Uh, It's really up to them. But we just like to open up the discussion and and clarify and make it easy for them to form this informed opinion. So it's, it's, as you said, like, you don't want to go telling people that 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 was a right thing to do, or that wasn't the right thing to do. It's just, you know, explain to them what are the consequences, potential consequences of, let's say, sharing your data. And then it's up to them. You know, some people don't mind, uh, and, and some people rather do. Um, and of course, it's also sort of not only your own data. So I think that is one of the things to realize that if you're sharing something, you know, if you're sharing family photos, it's not, of course, only your own privacy that you're 
perhaps sort of exposing to violations, but other people's that might be in, in, featured in these photos. So just an example of, of things that, you know, it's at least good to be aware of them. So we're trying to make, quote unquote, informed consent truly informed in a sense. Uh, and I want to touch a little bit, you mentioned value and certainly the conversation of ethics in AI and what should and shouldn't we apply this to is a hot topic at the moment. But I had made the assumption when I had first heard you speak about elements of AI and the course that it was primarily of interest or taken by folks that were coming from outside of technical fields mm-hmm. or folks that were already interested in maths and science. And in looking at some of the reviews when I was researching for the show, that in fact was not the case. I was mm-hmm. really happy and and I was surprised to see that there's a lot of feedback from folks who said, I work in the field and really learned some things in this, still found this course very helpful. What are the gaps in the landscape today in terms of how we teach and educate about AI that this course fills or touches on for folks that may, in fact, have a more technical background already? <laughs> yeah, that's really an interesting question. And it puts a mirror in front of myself because, you know, of course, as a professor of computer science and, and data science, I'm one of those people who educate some of the professionals. And that's, it, it has indeed been a surprise and it's given me a lot of food for thought about how we should educate people that I've also heard these stories from people that have, an, let's say, even an academic training in computer science. And they'd say that, no, oh, I've never thought about these ethical concerns. And I've never thought about the the links uh, between, let's say, political polarization and social media recommender systems. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that is something that I've been thinking now, like more recently, and, and thinking, well, should I myself uh, do something about it, of course? And, uh, and I've started thinking, okay, we should probably highlight these issues more in the computer science training that we give to the students at the university. I myself didn't really encounter issues like societal justice issues in my computer science training. I did take some courses on, you know, moral philosophy or ethics uh, where I would be exposed to them. But I, I wasn't at that time when I was studying, I wasn't able to sort of link them really. This is something that I've in a way learned along the way as, as we were building the elements of AI. And, and since then, yeah, it has accentuated the need for maybe changing and revising the computer science curriculum to cover these aspects much better than they are currently. Yeah. And, you know, I think that gap probably doesn't just exist in the computer science curricula. I actually am a chemical engineer by training and happened to apply for a job with a friend of mine at a consulting company and got the job. She didn't. We are still friends, which is nice. But uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know that I really thought about even just things, even in the context of basic risk management until I was actually out being trained and doing the work, for instance, as a management consultant and in some of that business strategy work. So it seems to come in in pockets, but what artificial intelligence is bringing to the fore is that this is something we need to think about more holistically, you know, whether it's across all fields of study, but I think also in how we approach this within organizations and companies. So I'm interested in how some of the lessons you've learned and and your experiences with bringing people into the AI fold translate into the the corporate world and into organizations. I think we've gotten beyond this belief that we can just go out and 
hire a few, you know, AI unicorns who will do it all, the data science, the data engineering, the be able to reflect the business case and subject matter expertise and, and all of these components and that we need to have more collaboration. But we still hear a lot about this looming skills shortage and the need to go out and, you know, for a lot of companies, and I think this is particularly troubling for small to medium-sized businesses, and try to hire these very expensive and still relatively rare skills. Could we be doing more to find you know, resources, bring them into the AI fold and train and reskill from within our existing workforce today? Definitely. And I think the domain experts are definitely needed. It's not as if computer scientists can go there and automate them out of the picture. They'll still be needed in creating the ideas and, and appreciating the better or the worst solutions and telling which way to go. So I would even think that training people that are the experts in whatever field they are experts in is going to give you, you know, in a, in a way, sort of achieve that more diverse community mm-hmm. of people who contribute to the AI, uh, you know, knowledge and the solutions that we have. So in that sense, that's exactly what I'd like to see. And I don't think people even necessarily have to learn programming. It's good if you get some exposure, understanding how long it takes to write a certain amount of code. Uh, and of course, like how much a certain functionality, how much code that it would require. I think those kind of things on that like very high level is good for a manager who, who needs to be sort of able to converse and collaborate with the programmers. So I think there's a lot that we can gain if people in managerial positions or other experts who collaborate with the technical experts, the machine learning folks, if they have some exposure to the topic. It's really, in a way, a matter of creating a common language and culture and understanding the the high-level concepts. And then you're able to collaborate much more efficiently. And that's kind of what the elements of AI, and especially there's a part two called building AI, where you have optional coding exercises, and it goes a bit deeper into the technicalities. And ideally, I'd like to see a small company, maybe maybe there's a CEO who takes the course, and then they have a couple maybe of technical people there, but over the weekend they've done some parts of the course, hopefully, and they've maybe done some sort of minimal amount of coding. And then, you know, I can only see when they go Monday, go to the office, hopefully we'll get to go to the office soon. Um, <laughs> they go to the office and they're like, they're beaming and they're bragging, oh, uh, over the weekend, I did a bit of coding. You know, <laughs> I did this machine learning uh, tidbit here. Uh, and it worked really nice. And, you know, that sort of those bragging rights kind of confidence that they get is the sort of uh, thing that I like to see that arises from that. They don't need to be the ones who will write the production code that is actually going to run uh, on the server. But the fact that they've done some coding and they're not out of their depth when maybe they're discussing with the with the coders, I think that's the best thing. And then then we have that like easy understanding between people. And that's that that's going to be more valuable than hiring, you know, five more coders, perhaps. Yeah. I'm also just outside of the corporate environment, been really struck by all of the different paths by which people intersect and become engaged in artificial intelligence. So I believe you also know Renee Cummings, who comes from, Mm -hmm. you know, she was a journalist and then worked in the judiciary, you know, and she's a criminologist and has come, she, she says she invited herself to the AI table. And I find that so incredibly exciting to see those folks and their contributions, which 
are just so important and expand our, our overall worldview, I think, with AI, both in terms of what we can do with it and perhaps keeping us out of the weeds of what we shouldn't do with it. But have you also seen examples of some of this, I think what you've in fact called the crazy creative attitude to technology and, and what some of these folks can bring if we just let them in? Uh, yeah, definitely. That's been some of the things that we have succeeded in, or at least I've sort of felt a lot of joy about seeing some of those examples. One instance was this week when I had a meeting with a person who is taking part in a training program. It wasn't Elements of AI, it was another program that we have for local companies. And she was saying that she'd been working on, um, now I don't know the terminology, especially in English, uh, but, you know, creating her own clothing and using the patterns that you can get somewhere and, and customizing them and tailoring them to fit just right. And we have this like project work that they do as a part of this training program. And she had chosen as, as one of their topics that uh, that application. So how to adapt patterns so that they fit just right. And she was like, well, I wonder if this is sort of technical enough or something. And I was like, no, 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 just don't worry about that. It's, that's exactly what is missing. And these are the kind of examples that I would never in a million years come up with because yeah. I don't, you know, I don't sew clothes or, you know, I don't even know how that's done. And that's the primary example of me being able to help her identify the technical solutions that might be applicable there. And she was already like thinking, okay, well, what's the business model? This has to be, you know, scaled up. And, you know, how, how do we sort of connect people when they're at home? And maybe this is sort of picking up now with the, you know, more spending time at home and with the people's hobbies and stuff. And, you know, I, I think that was a kind of a perfect example of completely complementary spheres of knowledge. I, I didn't know anything about the application and she, you know, she was just learning the basics of AI and combining them is exactly that, that I'd like to see more. Yeah. And, and that's a good example, I think, again, of, of harking back to something I've heard you say that, you know, we don't have to ask all of these people in all these fields to become different people to be able to use the tech. We can adapt the tech to mm -hmm. make it available and accessible to people where they're at, which is fantastic. So as you continue this work, you know, over the next several years, what do you hope to see or what can we expect to see in terms of how the public conversation and both access and the importance of, of education and literacy in AI is going to evolve? Uh, well, I think there's a few things. I would like to see more active citizen participation in the shaping of even like legal environment in which AI is being applied. There's lots of you know legislation coming out from the EU, especially these days. And I'd really like to see that there's a lot of organizations and individual citizens voicing their opinion, their, of course, informed opinion about those matters. So the public discourse being elevated to a more and more detailed and mature level is one thing that I definitely hope to see. It is hard to tell whether that's been happening or where it is going. There's a lot of pull through a certain direction from, obviously, from the industry, from the corporations, that they are able to sort of lobby for things extremely well. So what I'd like to see, to see on another side of the table or around the table as well is the kind of the more the uh, citizens' point of view. And I'd really like that to be more prominent. Uh, but there's, there's also the positive, the creative side of things. I'd like to see more innovation, more industrial activity, coming from, I guess, small and medium enterprises. 
um, so that they have the, the courage to go and trial things and to dream big about scaling up. And I think that can only happen if we have a really wide basis of, of people and companies and organizations that feel positive about AI and, and you know, come up with those really, like, really new ideas. So that I hope to see, and that's something we're really working towards, you know, leveraging and giving a platform to the people that get enthusiastic and start innovating. And, and that's really inspiring to see some of those initiatives. Yeah, I think that's great. I leave this conversation feeling energized and optimistic and even more aware of the need to continue even my own learning in this field. So if, like me, you are interested in learning more or would like to share that gift of knowledge with your own networks, links to Elements of AI and other resources mentioned on today's episode can be found in the show notes. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Temo, kitos. Kitos. Thank you. <laughs> That's my very limited uh, Finnish vocabulary. In any case, uh, next up, we're going to pay homage to the role of the arts in AI as we talk with Shalini Kantaya about her path to understanding artificial intelligence and investigating algorithmic bias in the documentary film Coded Bias. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing now to Pondering AI in your favorite podcatcher. Podcatcher.